all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio, and I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we're going to be talking about sleep, one of my absolute favorite things to do, and also one of my favorite things to help people um, improve upon. And in particular, we're going to focus in on sleep and heart health, because they are linked. If you have a question or a comment for us today, you can give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org. And you don't just have to email us when we're on the air. If you have a question at any point in time, you can uh, email the show that way. And we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can also interact with me over on Facebook at Healthy Habits with Josie. And I do have a thread up this morning over on Facebook that says, what is your biggest obstacle to getting a good night's sleep. So I'd be interested to hear if you're not sleeping well, what do you think the biggest uh, biggest issue with that is? So however you want to get in touch with us today, I hope you will take one of those opportunities to do so. So I think the best place for us to start is to explain a word that I use sometimes on this show, and I may not have explained it before, um, but I use the word cardiometabolic health a lot. Uh, and so what, what is that? What is cardiometabolic health? Well, it is kind of a, a smush together of a couple of different things, obesity, overweight and obesity, diabetes, and then heart disease. You know, and heart disease can be things like high cholesterol, strokes, heart attacks, that kind of stuff. So all of those things together um, kind of have an umbrella term around them called cardiometabolic health, okay? And so what we're going to explore today is how sleep impacts cardiometabolic health. So things like weight and blood sugar and heart disease and those types of things. So we're going to kind of begin that conversation talking about what it means to have healthy sleep, because a lot of what we're going to dig into today is what happens when we have poor sleep or we don't sleep well. And so the only way to know whether we're not sleeping well is to think about what it means to have good sleep. And that can be either 
the quantity of your sleep or the quality of your sleep or both. And so let's start with quantity and what I mean by quantity. That's how many hours you sleep. Okay. Um, the way we can judge if we're getting enough is to think about what the science tells us as the appropriate duration. Now, for today's show, I'm going to be talking mostly about adult sleep health. Okay. So kiddos need different amounts of sleep than adults do, you know, depending on their um, their age, their developmental stage, they need um, different amounts of sleep. I am about to be the proud parent of a teenager. Um, he, my oldest son turns 13 in about a month and a half. And so I'm still trying to figure out what's going on with his sleep schedule. We're working on that because um, it seems like he's either, uh, he just sleeps sleeps a lot. And I know that that's normal. They need more sleep, but we want to do it in a healthy way. So adults need between seven and nine hours of sleep. Okay. Uh, that's kind of the, what I like to think of as the sweet spot. And when I say the sweet spot, I mean, when we look at amounts of sleep less than seven hours in duration, we tend to have more problems with cardiometabolic health, right? So more, more health consequences when we sleep less than that. But the opposite is also true. If we're sleeping a lot more as adults, more than about nine hours or so, we start to see it kind of swing the other way and start to have some health issues from increased duration of sleep. So we want to kind of try and hit in between that seven to nine hours. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it has to be textbook perfect every night, but the majority of our nights, we should be hitting somewhere around in there. And it takes some intentionality to make sure that we're investing in our sleep and getting that good, healthy sleep. So that's kind of quantity, right? The other part is quality, right? What's the purpose of sleep? Well, the purpose of sleep is rest and repair of our body and, and lots of different body systems that are going to be repaired and worked on. It helps with our memory and our learning and all of those different kinds of things. So how do we know whether we have good quality sleep? Well, probably the, one of the easiest ways is to be really honest with yourself about how rested you feel right, when you wake up in the morning. And do you feel kind of refreshed and ready to start your day? Um, now, that doesn't mean that you don't enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning. I do. Um, but I would still be awake enough to go about my day if I didn't have my coffee. I just would be less um, less pleasant, probably, uh, if you asked my husband. But I use a scale of zero to 10 with people when I ask them how, how kind of how good they feel when they wake up, right? Zero is just, just dead tired, right? Um, like you just don't have any energy at all. And 10 is you feel great, you know, like you're ready to tackle your day. You know, your energy levels are not at all standing in your way of achieving the things that you want to during your day. Um, and anywhere along that, that continuum, um, you can give a number for that. I start to get concerned when people report to me kind of less than a seven on their feeling, feeling refreshed or feeling energized to start their day. And that should prompt us. If you're asking yourself that question, realistically, how well you felt this morning, um, or for a pattern, 
if you're not sleep, not feeling rested, then we need to ask ourselves some questions. We need to ask, you know, is it that I'm having trouble falling asleep? Is it that I'm having trouble staying asleep? Is it the combination of those two things together? And that's really the the basics behind figuring out what the heck is going on with our sleep, right? We've got to ask ourselves some, some kind of tough questions to figure out that, okay? One of the other things that I often ask people, especially if they're not getting the appropriate um, or the adequate amount of rest, is to kind of walk me through their day. And so kind of walk yourself through your day and also ask yourself some questions like what time do you get in the bed to go to sleep, right? Do you have a set time that you kind of go, all right, this is the end of my day. Let's go, um, you know, go get in the bed. And then how long does it take you to fall asleep from the time you get in the bed until you go to sleep, right? Um, the, the kind of science tells us that about 20 minutes is the appropriate uh, sleep onset from the time we really intentionally lay down and try and go to sleep until we fall asleep. And if it's taken us more than 20 minutes, then we need to, to take a little deeper dive and see what's going on uh, that is causing delayed sleep onset. Now, what I see a lot of folks do is um, they may get in the bed at nine, but they don't go to sleep until midnight. And so I usually ask, what, well, what the heck's going on in those three hours, right? Are you trying to sleep during that time or are we doing other things like watching TV or playing video games or um, scrolling, you know, Instagram and Facebook and using your phone or playing games on your phone or laptop and those kinds of things? Because that can have some, some negative effects on our ability to get into good sleep. Um, but if we're not doing any of those things, if we are t intentionally, you know, lights off, trying to go to sleep for that amount of time, then that is a different set of questions that we have to think about ourselves. You know, what, again, is keeping us from sleeping during that time? Is it racing thoughts and anxiety? I see that a ton. People just tell me their head, their brains won't, won't cut off, right? Um, and whether that be rethinking things that happened throughout the day or thinking about all the things that you have to do tomorrow, those are all um, things that we can work on, right? But if we don't ask ourselves the questions and try and figure out what the underlying issue with our sleep is, then we're not going to, um, we're not going to change any of that. We're just going to keep on keeping on and doing our same sleep pattern. And after a little bit of time of poor sleep, we actually underappreciate how tired we are. Uh, we kind of get used to it, and that becomes our, our normal function, and we don't realize how, how tired and how fatigued we are or how much slower our reaction time is or how much our, that we don't learn as well as, as we should. And in America, we almost wear our lack of sleep as like a, a badge of honor. We're like, look how much stuff I got done today. And I only sleep four hours a night, right? Um, but we're not only not running our brain at the kind of optimum amount of efficiency, but our biochemical processes in our body that are affecting our heart and our kidneys and our pancreas and all of those different kinds of things are not 
running at the level that they need to run. So now that we've kind of talked about uh, kind of the, the big question of how much are you sleeping and do you feel rested upon awakening, we're going to dig down into what the problem with that is and why it's such an issue. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking about sleep today, and in particular how sleep affects our cardiometabolic health, our heart, our blood sugar, our weight. Most folks in Mississippi have at least some interests in in one or two of those things. We do have a high rate of heart disease, diabetes, and problems with weight management here. And sometimes we tend to overlook the sleep piece and how that can help us maximize control of things like blood pressure, blood sugar, our appetite, and those different types of things. And we'll get into some of those today as we talk about the effects of sleep on on those conditions, you can give us a call. I'd love to talk with you today. Our number is one mpb ring Or you can hop over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop me a message over there. Had a couple come in this morning already. Um, and we'll get to those in just a second. I want to remind folks, if you missed the first segment, that the sweet spot, so to speak, with sleep is seven to nine hours. So that's a good place to be you know, just kind of applying to your daily life to see if you're getting enough sleep there. So what does happen when we don't sleep as well as we should, either the right length or the right quality of sleep? Well, let's look at blood sugar, okay, and what it can do to our blood sugar. When we're talking about type 2 diabetes, right, type 2 diabetes is the hallmark of it, the underlying cause of type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance. So insulin is secreted by your pancreas in response to rising blood sugar levels and helps the cells of your body take up that sugar so that it can use it for energy and bring your blood sugar down into a normal level. So if we are not able to use that insulin that we make, as well. That's what we term insulin resistance. Okay. So the cells aren't able to take up that sugar like it should. Our blood sugar stays higher. Our body says, what the heck? 
maybe I need some more insulin. And so it squirts out more insulin and more insulin. And over time that kind of burns the pancreas out and we, um, our, our blood sugar is really difficult, difficult to control at that time. So poor sleep, either from duration or quality or both, increases that insulin resistance. Okay? So it just makes it harder for our body to use the insulin that we already make efficiently. Okay? And that leads to increased blood glucose. Right? Some of the other things that it does in terms of um, blood sugar is there's some other kind of what we call counter-regulatory hormones that are going on in there and it messes with those as well with the net effect being that our blood sugar just stays too high so if you're having trouble regulating your blood sugar right whether that be a fasting blood sugar first thing in the morning which i see a lot of people struggle with or the one that's a couple of hours after you um, eat then it's a, and you're doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing, right? We're watching what we're eating, we're exercising, those kinds of things, and taking our medications as prescribed by our healthcare provider, then it makes good sense to step back and look at what our sleep is from a really um, open and honest conversation with yourself, right? Really don't think, I sleep fine. Really think about how many hours you're getting and how rested you feel first thing in the morning when you wake up or in the evening if you're a night shift worker, okay? The second thing that impacts not only heart disease but also blood sugar is our what we eat, right? How many calories we take in. That affects not only our waistline but our heart and our blood sugar. And when we don't sleep well or we have poor sleep, um, one of the hormones that makes us feel full and satisfied, it's called leptin, goes down. Okay. And when that goes down, we lose that feeling of fullness and being full and satisfied. And so that makes us want to eat. Okay. So a lot of folks I know that are, you know, trying to lose weight, struggle with feeling hungry all the time. Right. And they feel like they don't have the willpower to not eat those foods. And guys, got to cut yourself a little bit of slack because it may not be willpower at all that what you know is what's going on. There are other things that are contributing to the fact that you're hungry and that you don't feel satisfied and that you want to snack. In particular, when we look at how sleep affects what we choose to eat, when we're sleep deprived, we want uh, carbohydrates, okay? And I'm not talking like apples and celery sticks and carrots. I'm talking salty or sweet carbohydrates. So, you know, desserts, cookies, cakes, those kinds of things, or things like chips, um, uh, popcorn, you know, those kinds of things that are salty and crunchy and all those kinds of good things. Okay. Um, we also tend to pick more highly saturated fat things. So what do all those things have in common? High saturated fat, salty, sweet carbs, that's processed junk food. Okay. So we crave those things. We're sleep deprived. It makes us want those things more. And we tend to overconsume the amount when we do that as well. Okay. Um, in particular, um, snack time, even when your meals don't change, right? So you eat the same amount, um, of calories or food that you normally would eat at mealtime. 
folks who don't sleep well consume um, a lar- much larger chunk of calories at snack time. And that's when we reach for these highly processed um, snack foods to make us make us feel better. Okay. Or we reach for things like energy drinks or extra coffee or those kinds of things, especially in the afternoon hours, which is just going to exacerbate that sleep problem that we've got going on there. Okay. Um, one other pattern that might happen is eating, making us eat a much larger breakfast and a much larger dinner. The large breakfast is not so much of an issue. We should burn through a lot of those calories during the day, but a very calorie heavy meal at the end of the day, you know, our metabolism is starting to slow at this point and that's going to make it much harder to either maintain a healthy weight or to lose weight if that is what you are desiring. Okay. So there's lots of different um, pathways into how sleep does not you know, poor sleep does not do us any favors in terms of our weight management or our blood sugar control, blood pressure control, all of those different kinds of things there. So I had a uh, a comment come in over on Facebook that asked me, well, it answered me really. I asked, what's the biggest obstacle to getting a good night's sleep? And Philip says old man syndrome. And to elaborate on what old man syndrome is, it's multiple trips to the bathroom is what he's saying. And so the medical word for that, the fancy word would be nocturia, okay? Noct meaning sleep time and uria meaning urination, okay? So nocturia is when we're getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, right? And it is an incredibly common um, issue. It is usually, it's not a disease in and of itself. It's a symptom of something else going on. And there can be varieties of reasons as to why that occurs, as to why we get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom. If you find yourself getting up multiple times or just getting up to go to the bathroom at night, ask yourself how many times you're getting up, right? And if you're able to return to sleep easily when you come back, right? All of those are kind of important factors to to take in and think about as you are evaluating your nighttime routine. But some of the reasons that that happens is what I mentioned a minute ago, more caffeine or alcohol in the evening hours. Okay. Either one of those will make you make more urine during the night. Okay. So we want to think about, think about that. I usually don't recommend caffeine after, um, after about, one or two in the afternoon. And I usually don't recommend alcohol within three to four hours of bedtime. Okay. Um, another thing would be timing of medications. Okay. So a lot of folks are on fluid pills or diuretics for, you know, their heart disease or blood pressure issues, those kinds of things. And the timing of when we take those, you know, if we're taking those toward the end of the day, then that may um, make us, again, make more urine at nighttime. Now, that's not something I'd want you to just adjust and go willy-nilly and change without um, consulting your healthcare provider about the dosage and the time that you're taking um, those medications there. Uh, another thing that can happen is if you're if you swell during the day, right, which a lot of people that you know, stand for a large portion of their day, they may, their legs and feet may swell, okay? Um, when we go to sleep at night or when we get in the bed and we lay down and we, our legs are kind of elevated at that point, some of that fluid will kind of reabsorb back into your 
into your blood vessels, and then it's going to get taken to the kidneys to be filtered. And so you'll make more urine that way. And so those are kind of three things to, to think about, right? What's your, how much water you're drinking, any kind of caffeine or alcohol that you're taking in before that timing of some of your medications. And then, um, you know, are your you know, legs and ankles and feet and things swelling it during the day? Because those are all things that we can work on and address either through a lifestyle, um, adjustment or, you know, through a conversation with your healthcare provider about the timing of your medications and those kinds of things there. Um, the other thing to think about is the increased chance of you falling when you're getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. So I would not be doing my job as a preventive medicine provider if I didn't talk to you about making sure that your floor, like the path between your bed and the bathroom is clear of clutter, right? So if you have throw rugs or those kinds of things, probably move those out from that pathway. If you have lamp cords and those kinds of things, make sure that they're um, you know, not in that pathway, secured down to the floor, that kind of thing. And then I really like motion-activated night lights um, that you can have in the way there as well. We don't want to flip the big light on, okay? We flip the big light on then our eyes get exposed to all this bright light and that's going to disrupt our um, sleep pattern because your brain's like, Ooh, Hey, it's daytime. Okay. So we want to have much lower um, light, but an adequate amount of light to see where we're going. So some motion activated uh, night lights are a great way uh, to do that. Okay. So just thinking through some of those things that are, that will keep you safe. Um, as you, as you go to the bathroom at nighttime, right? Another thing that can cause nighttime um, urination is untreated sleep apnea. So, um, and we're not sure kind of which, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Did this, you know, did the sleep apnea um, cause the nocturia or, or, or do we really have nocturia or are we just once we wake up from the sleep apnea, we're like, I could probably go to the bathroom, right? So it's kind of a cycle there. But sleep apnea, if you have things like um, you snore, okay, someone that uh, has seen you sleep has told you that you either pause breathing or you gasp or you choke or if you wake yourself up choking as you sleep, um, if you were blood pressure is difficult to control and you have any of those issues, those all make my, um, the little warning bells start to go off in my head about potential sleep apnea. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking all about sleep today, my favorite hobby. But we'll go great over to the phone lines and talk with John and Mobile. Thank you for giving us a call today, John. How can we help? Yes, ma'am. Hope everybody's had their coffee this morning. I uh, have. <laughs> good, good. I, I have a bad habit. I, I I don't know if it's bad, but it is a habit of staying up late. I mean, I'll go to sleep on average at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it begins to tell on Monday, Wednesday, Friday when I get up at 8 in order to go out and exercise. So I'm basically getting five hours of sleep. My question to you is, can I compensate for that by taking what I call catch-up naps? And when I come home after I've done this, that, and the other, I'll lay down for an hour or two. I know that's not ideal, but does that do any good? Actually, sleeping for that duration of time during the day, um, depending on, especially depending on when you're doing it, is it after lunch or is it more early in yeah, the morning? After, after lunch. I'll after lunch, yeah. That's probably one of the reasons why you're having more difficulty going to sleep later on. So nap time can be, um, or small naps can be fine to help kind of boost, you know, mental acuity and, you know, keep us sharp, but usually try and limit those to 30 minutes or less. And before lunchtime, uh, when we do prolonged naps in the afternoon, you know, hour, two hours, then it's going to interfere with our ability to fall asleep at a kind of a normal sleep time, which should be on the PM side of midnight, right? Um, so what I would recommend if you're, if you're interested in changing that at all is backing it up by 15 to 30 minutes, right? So if you normally take, um, you know, an hour nap, try and cut that back to 45 minutes and then try and back your bedtime up by, you know, 15 or 30 minutes and do that for a couple of days. Don't shock your system into just, um, you know, I'm not napping and I'm going to go to bed at 10 PM. You got to kind of back it up gradually a little bit there. Um, with yeah. your, with, what time do you get in the bed to go to sleep? About three in the morning. Okay. So are you up kind of watching TV and that kind of stuff before then? Uh, uh, taking care of this or that little uh, task. And sometimes I'll sit and watch television or get on the Internet. Um, mm-hmm. All sorts of good excuses, none of which are valid. <laughs> stay up that well, late. They're, not, yeah. they're not excuses. They're just they're your habits, right? They're what yeah. you've you know, been comfortable doing. Um, but they don't have to stay that way if if you want to change them. And, you know, I would encourage you to 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 try and change that, you know, so in, that duration. Change. That's incremental try. change. Incremental and try, um, you know, to help you fall asleep a little bit easier, the screens, so the TV, the you know, scrolling the Internet, that kind of stuff, at least about 60 minutes before you want to be asleep, right? So if you're trying to shoot for maybe a 2 a.m. bedtime, um, then at 1 a.m. those things should go away and more um, non-screen related activities um, like maybe a crossword puzzle or 
um, you know, a, a real book with a soft lamp, those kinds of things to, to help your brain get the cue that it's bedtime uh, and help it release its natural melatonin. Well, if I'm taking any advice from you, this is incremental change. I'll try yep. changing the hours uh, that I stay up, cutting back by 15 or 20, and the same thing about naps, cutting back on those, and hopefully my body begins to readjust. I, I'm I'm also plagued by the same ills that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. the, the uh, type 2 diabetes, da-da-da-da-da-da, mm-hmm. uh, old age, um, all these things that, uh, that tend to mask you from reality you know you know it's you know the right thing to do but you'd be damned if you do it (laughs) it's hard you know i mean it really is hard to change a lifetime of habits and we've got to give ourselves a little bit of grace with that and not expect perfection just just better than the day before you know i i I, I am good at denying reality in fact i think i probably be carrying a uh, (laughs) a uh, republican uh, party (laughs) card because they're good at denying reality we'll, we'll end oh, with that. <laughs> we'll, we'll okay. end with that one have a good day all thank right you. thank you john thank you so much for giving us a call today and for your honesty all right if you have a question or a comment for us you can get on the line and talk with us today that number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four all right we had another facebook question came in it says is there science behind sleeping in a dark colored slash wall bedroom. So I think what um, Amy is talking about here is the actual paint color of your bedroom. And does that matter? Okay. So yeah, a little bit. Um, We want to make our bedroom a relaxing place, right? So the bedroom should be for bed activities, right? So sleeping sexual intercourse and that's about it okay so when we bring other activities into the bedroom whether it be things like the tv or the video games or um other other activities our brain doesn't get the full message that this room is for us to relax um to decompress and to sleep and and rest and recover and so painting your bedroom a bright vibrant stimulating color for the vast majority of people is probably not going to induce that calming effect, right? Um, doesn't mean you have to paint your room black, um, but things like blue and green are often seen as um, uh, calming colors, even some, some warmer, you know, warmer shades of that, but bright yellow, bright red, pink, those kinds of things. Um, are probably not going to be as relaxing for you. Um, But what if you live in an apartment or you rent and you can't paint? Well, that's okay. Think about other ways to create a calming oasis for your bedroom. So maybe that's hanging some curtains that are in a color that you enjoy, that you find calm and relaxing. Using um, those colors in accent items, right? Maybe throw pillows or a blanket. Um, you know, knickknacks and those kinds of things um, to create that calming space. You know, I'm a pillow lover. I love a good, you know, squishy cocoon of pillows. So, and my husband does not, and that's fine. So we don't have the same pillows. That way, you know, it's it's what comfort and relaxation means to me in terms of, you know, the, the bedding that I choose for, for my bed. 
And then um, keeping the bedroom clutter free. Okay. Um, Clutter is very hard for the mind to process and relax when you've got piles of things going on. And I am bad about this. I am hyper organized at at work, like in my clinic and in hospital rooms and those kinds of things. But at home, my organization style is a little bit more a pile here, a pile there. And I know what's in all those piles, but um, not anybody else does. And they they don't, they're not, they're not super cluttered free, but I try and keep that out of the bedroom as much as possible. Um, one thing I've been working on lately is when I come back from um, a a trip or going somewhere, if I'm not going to unpack my suitcase completely and put it away, which you should, um, I'm trying not to leave that in my bedroom with all the clothes, just kind of spilling out of it because that is disruptive and not calming uh, to the body. Okay. So the short answer of that is the color may help some of you, but you don't have to go out and repaint your bedroom. We do know that there are kind of the top two things that you can do to make your environment a sleep inducing environment. And that is the temperature of your room as well as how dark your room is. Okay. Both of those things are very, very important for your body and getting to sleep um, quickly and staying asleep. Okay. And so both of those have to do with our body's ability to release melatonin. Okay. So melatonin is a buzzword that a lot of people have heard because they, they take a melatonin gummy and then don't understand why they're still not sleeping well at nighttime. Okay. So melatonin is a natural hormone that's released, um, to help with sleep onset and maintenance. And our, it's released from our, um, brain and it is released One way, primarily in response to light. So we've got a sensor um, at the back of our eye that senses the amount of light going on and tells us whether it's sleep time or wake up time, right? It sets our circadian rhythm or our internal clock, right? If we think back to before electricity, then we went to bed uh, or started our wind down period as it got dark outside. And then we got up in the morning as the sun rose and it was light outside. But now it's light all the time, right? Every light in the house is blazing for a lot of folks at full capacity, even at nighttime. Um, we work in office buildings that often have bright overhead lights that are, are you know blaring for you know, eight to 10 hours at a time. Um, And then we have the light that's coming from our laptops and cell phones and TVs and all those kinds of things. And that's a special um, wavelength light called blue light that is particularly disruptive to um, our brain chemistry. And so when that spot is constantly being stimulated by all that light, it says, oh goodness, it is daytime. Don't fall asleep. It would be bad to fall asleep right now because we're supposed to be awake and we don't release that kind of um, surge of melatonin that helps with sleep induction and sleep maintenance. So keeping our room dark is a really good way to do that. So if you're a TV sleeper, 
uh, sleep with the TV on, then think about why that is, right? Is it for the light or is it for the noise? If it's just for the noise, then maybe let's consider getting a white noise machine or um, a noise machine that makes a sound that you find calming. Like um, some people like thunderstorms, some people like um, the beach and waves and those kinds of things that would be individual to, to you um, and what you enjoy and what you find relaxing there. But again, cutting that TV or that screen off um, 60, you know, at least 60 minutes before your, your anticipated bedtime will help with a little bit more gradual um, release of, of naturally occurring melatonin. The other is the temperature of the room. Okay, so uh, National Sleep Foundation will tell you 68 to 72 degrees as optimal bedroom temperature. Um, I would freeze to death if my temperature was on 68. I'm just not about that. But we do keep it at 72. And a cooler room temp does tend to promote um, better sleep. Again, it helps with that melatonin. When we get into a deep sleep, a deep restorative sleep, a couple of things happen. Our core body temperature drops and our extremity temperature, so the, the temperature at our skin level, right, of our arms and our legs and those kinds of things should um should rise so that our blood vessels dilate and we help to cool down that core temperature, right? And so having a cool room helps with that. Also helps to wear um, things that would make those extremities warm up easier. So socks are one thing that can help with that. A lot of people get very opinionated about whether you wear socks in the bed or not. And so I'm not going to argue with that. I'm just going to tell you the science can help. Um, the, the science is there that will, will help with that. For people who are very much against wearing socks, then I usually say, well, what about if we just threw an extra throw blanket down on the bottom part of your bed to just kind of keep those legs nice and warm? Or wear sleep pants or a T-shirt, something like that. But all of those things can help. So some intentionality about planning for bedtime can be really, really important. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we have been talking about sleep and how it affects things like your blood sugar and your heart health and your attempts at maintaining a healthy weight. And we've had some great callers today, and we are going to go over to 
Alabama and talk with Alan this morning. Good morning, Alan. Thanks for giving us a call. What can we do for you? Well, I just wanted to be a, offer a constructive comment. I appreciate all the sure. uh, thoughts and ideas that you have. And it has been my experience that if the person might be physician, office worker, housewife, uh, teacher, who is overwhelmed by regular life experience, uh, such as the disappointment of your adult children, the disappointment of your siblings, a co-worker who's about as aggravating as a porcupine in bed with you. It's, <laughs> there are, oh, it, oh there, uh, there are plenty of manic people out there that cause the rest of the normal people just to have fits. And they lie awake at night dealing with this constant issue they have to deal with the next day. Mm -hmm. And their serotonin levels are out of balance. And there are a number of great medicines to get that serotonin balanced. And then you realize, well, that person really is a jerk. My brother is no good. I've given my children everything in the world, and they still want everything. Let them go find their own stuff. I'm going to get a nap. It is not our problem that our children, siblings, and coworkers are on the lower side of the bell curve. You have got to take care of yourself first. And that quite often just a regular GP who understands these things can help you get straightened out. So you can deal with all of the idiots in your life. And that was my comment, and I appreciate uh, your daily broadcast at 11 o'clock that MPB has. Well, we appreciate you for listening and appreciate, us, appreciate you for giving us a call. And, you know, I think one of the most important takeaways there is that we have to have open communication with our healthcare providers about things that are affecting us, right? Um, especially if your healthcare provider does ask, how are you sleeping? Really be open and honest with, you know, that you're not sleeping well and what some of those barriers are, right? You mentioned things like anxiety and thinking about um, what you're going to have to deal with the next day and how you're going to do those things. And that's absolutely, you know, endorsed in the literature and as a, a valid reason for having difficulties with sleep. That's why one of the most um, effective things for insomnia is cognitive behavioral therapy and learning how to, to get a different kind of toolkit on board um, to be able to uh, deal with uh, some of those kinds of things there. So absolutely. Thank you for your phone call today. We had one more comment or question, actually, that came in on Facebook that asked about melatonin supplements. So in the very last couple of minutes of the show, I will kind of give you my parting comments about that. Um, melatonin supplements, as with any supplement I've mentioned before, make sure you're getting a good reputable brand on that um, while uh, and that it only has that melatonin in it. Sometimes they're mixed with other things like valerian root and those kinds of things that can interact with other medications. So make sure you get a good brand um, and look for that USP verified seal on it. Um, you can always check them out on Consumer Reports as well and see, you know, what they're um, uh, what their status is there to make sure that you're getting what you're paying for. The second is the kind of um, one of the more uh, the evidence behind the conditions that it works the best for are things like jet lag 
or that delayed sleep onset, people that consider themselves night owls and stay up um, well past what we would consider a normal bedtime. Melatonin is a little bit more effective for those folks. But be careful with the dosing. There is a wide variety of dosing on the market, anywhere from about 0.5 milligrams all the way up to about 10 milligrams can be purchased over the counter. And really high dose melatonin, which I consider anything over five milligrams, um, can cause rebound insomnia. So if you're taking a 10 milligram gummy and still not sleeping well or saying it doesn't work, it may be because you're giving yourself a little bit too much there. Okay, I usually for adults um, say start with the lowest dose you can and kind of go up until it's effective. But I usually don't recommend anything over three milligrams without consultation with a sleep specialist to make sure that that's not going to interact with anything else there. Okay? Again, good reputable brand of that and no more than, than three milligrams of that melatonin supplement and help your brain release its own natural melatonin. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org.